James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, it says, Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not opposing you. So that's what we're going to discuss today. We better have a word of prayer as we get started this morning. So if you bow your heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you just for the wonderful privilege to be here. We thank you that we can sing praises to you. We can study the scripture together. And, and just it, it's all about you. And we just pray that the worship that we bring to you is, brings glory and honor to you as well. And so, Lord, be with us throughout this message today. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look at how to be wise with your wealth as we continue through this series of James. And uh, many people wrongly believe that they, they say that the Bible teaches that it's wrong to be wealthy. The Bible doesn't say that. Some people have heard that saying, money is the root of all evil. It doesn't say that either. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. And so God is not opposed to wealth. In fact, there are many people in the Bible that were very wealthy. You had Abraham that was... It'd be hard to judge how much wealth he had in today's society, but it'd be way beyond a millionaire. You had David and Solomon. They were probably the richest people of their time. You had Job in that, in that time, was the wealthiest man during his lifetime. And so God's not opposed to wealth simply for being wealthy. But God is opposed to the misuse and the abuse of wealth. And that's kind of what this passage is talking about. So we want to be able to use our wealth wisely, no matter how much or how little we have. In the New Testament times, there was no such thing as a middle class. You had the low class and you had the high class. And the system caused the rich to get richer and the poor to get poorer. And so what was happening is the rich tended to manipulate and oppress the poor people throughout all of the New Testament. And so James lashes out at this unchristian use of money by the people that had wealth. He gives rebuke. He gives one of the most, it's probably one of the most negative passages in the entire New Testament. Now aren't you excited you came to hear one of the most negative passages Passages in Scripture. But James devastates them with his words. He condemns these ones that are misusing their wealth with four specific abuses. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the, the wrong uses of wealth. We're going to look at the right uses of wealth. And you might be sitting here going, I don't have any wealth, so it doesn't apply to me. Well, Every one of us here in this room today are wealthy in compared to worldly standards. If you own a car, you're considered wealthy. If you have more than one change of clothes, you're considered wealthy. 
if you own a home, you're considered in the top 5% of the world. So in a sense, by us just basically living in America, we are considered wealthy according to world standards. Now, I'm not going through this to, to load on a bunch of guilt, but I think we need to be aware that God has indeed blessed us. We are a blessed nation. We're a blessed people. And we need to be thanking the Lord for that every single day. We need to be grateful for what we have. So with that pat on the back, we're going to get into the four abuses of wealth. And so we're going to look at the, the four abuses and how we're going to avoid those. And then we're going to look at the right use for wealth. And so as we get started here, the wrong uses of wealth, the first key issue that James talks about is the accumulation of wealth. James says, in verse 3, he says, Your gold and silver are corroded, their corrosion will testify against you, and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. That last phrase, you have hoarded wealth in the last days. Of the four errors that James points out to these people guilty that are guilty of, James says you've hoarded wealth. God says that money's not to be stockpiled. It's not to be collected in piles just for the sake of having piles of money. God wants His money in circulation. He's not talking about savings. There is a legitimate place for savings. How many of you have been through the Dave Ramsey course? Biblical principles on wealth and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, who knows, I don't know if Jason's planning on teaching another one on that or whatever, but we, we might get to that point. But there's a legitimate, legitimate place for savings. God encourages us to save money. But here he's referring to getting more and more money just simply for the sake of getting more and more money. In the New Testament, they could hoard their wealth in three different ways. And you're going to love this. They could stockpile food. They could collect clothes. Or they would gather jewelry, precious metals and jewels. And that was the way that the wealthy people would show off their wealth in the New Testament. Look at all the jewels that I have. Or look at the, all the different kinds of clothes that I have. Or look at the different kinds of foods. So God doesn't want us to get wealthy just for the sake of getting wealthy. What does He say? He says your clothes get moth-eaten. Which clothes get moth-eaten? It's generally not the ones that you're wearing. It's those ones that are sitting in your closet. It's the ones that you hoard. Or what food has gotten rotten? Which food goes rotten at your house? Is it the food that you eat every day? Nah, probably not. It's that stuff in the back of the refrigerator that only the men's group is willing to attempt to eat. <laughs> you know, we probably all have stuff in the back of our refrigerator that open it up. Whoa. Sometimes we've created new life forms in the refrigerator. So wealth is not to be hoarded. 
The, the second issue that he talks about is the appropriation of wealth. Because God's not only concerned about what we've got, but he's, wonder, he's concerned about how we got it. Don't steal it. Don't use dishonest means to rip people off. There's a lot of ways to make dishonest money today. Now, go back to the New Testament times. because James is writing this. You worked on a daily basis. You were hired at the beginning of the day. You would work all day. And at the end of the day, you were given your check. You were given your money for the day's work. A man that maybe the homeowner or landowner or whatever would, would come into the town and he would hire the workers for the day. There were no contracts. There were no labor unions. There were no laws to protect the workers. And if the boss wanted to rip you off, there was nothing that would stop him. In fact, you could work all day and you could come up to the boss and say, he could come up to you and say, I didn't like your work today, so I'm not paying you. So he would keep the money. So in a sense, he's making money dishonestly. That's what James is criticizing here. The wages you have failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. So James is saying that in the accumulation of wealth, don't hoard it. The third issue that James talks about is the allocation of money on how we spend it. Because the way that we spend our money is, is really important. And James blasts these guys for how they spent their money. I mean, look at verse 5 there. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. What James is saying is, is don't waste it. Don't waste your wealth. Don't spend it on things that don't add anything to your life. And then the fourth key James deals with is the application of wealth. He's talking about how we use wealth for influence. And he says don't abuse it. Because wealth gives us much more than just simply buying ability. If you look at verses 2 and 3 there, your wealth has rotted, the moths have eaten your clothes, your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Now, aren't you glad we don't have a potluck today? Doesn't that sound pleasant words there? But what James is saying is dishonest, wasted, and abused wealth is going to be judged in eternity. So James has some pretty strong words on the, on the abuse of wealth. So are we still excited? I think that's the worst part of it. Because now we're going to go into what the Bible says is the right uses of wealth and the things and the ways that we ought to practice. We've got the right accumulation. Proverbs 21.20 says, The wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. Another passage in Proverbs says, Consider the ant how it stores up in the winter. This is the principle that the Bible says we ought to save money faithfully. Now, think of, think of this quote. You've got to love these quotes when it says, Someone said, Use it up 
Wear it out. Make it do or do without. Use it up. Wear it out. Make it do or do without. Now what's the purpose of saving? And I think this is where the Bible differs from the world's thinking in a major way. The world thinks that you save money for security purposes. If I could just accumulate a big enough bank account, then I will be financially secure. So in order to have security, you've got to put your security in something that cannot be taken away from you. Everything that I have can be taken away from me. My family could be taken away. My money, reputation, everything could be taken away. There's only one thing that cannot be taken away from me, and that's my relationship with Christ. I've got to put my security in Christ and not on my savings account or my CD or stock or whatever it might be. Paul said in Philippians 4.19, My God shall supply all your needs. That's security. That's the way to be prepared for financial reverses to find security in the Lord. So why do we save? Why do we save our money then? Christians save for stewardship reasons, not for security reasons. That's the right accumulation according to the Scripture. So what about the right appropriation? The Bible says in Proverbs 13.11, Wealth from gambling quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work grows. And so over and over, the Bible teaches and values the importance of hard work. It's a, it's a legitimate, honest way to increase your income by making money honestly through work. If you talk all the time about get-rich-quick schemes, you need to, you need to think again. God approves of work as a means to wealth. Proverbs 14, 23, out of the Living Bible, says work brings profit, talk brings poverty. In Proverbs, it also says a lazy man will never have money, but an aggressive man will get rich. Proverbs 12, 27, if you're lazy, you'll never get what you're after, but if you work hard, you can get a fortune. So what matters to God is not how much money you make, but how you make it. God wants us to be in balance. Now here's a question that we need to ask ourselves. If our income were at the same degree as your walk with the Lord, would you be considered a millionaire or a pauper? You think about that. Would you be somewhere in between? There's got to be a balance. And God says that if you're going to set financial goals, you probably need to set spiritual goals too. Set some relational goals. Because if all you do in your life is set financial goals, you're out of balance. God says, what are some of the spiritual things that we need? And then what does the Scripture say about the, the right allocation of money and wealth? The Bible says that we're supposed to spend money wisely. Scripture says the plans of the diligent lead to profit as sure as haste leads to poverty. 
Now I'm going to say something really, really profound. Everybody ready? It's pretty exciting. It's easier to get in debt than it is to get out of debt. Trust me, I know that. Um, but what's our world say? Buy now, pay later. You only need 162 easy payments, and it's yours. I don't know about you, but I've never had an easy payment. Don't know where they got that. They're all difficult. But the number one reason for financial pressure is not that we don't make enough money many times, it's that we don't spend it wisely. So God wants us to make money honestly, He wants us to save it faithfully, and He wants us to spend it wisely. So what's the right application in all this? How do we use the influence that money has? Look at this passage out of Proverbs that says, It is possible to give away and become richer. It is also possible to hold on too tightly and lose everything. Yes, the liberal man shall be rich by watering others he waters himself. It's kind of an interesting passage. But this principle is taught over and over in Scripture. Given it will be given unto you. The more that you sow, the more that you reap. And there are more promises in the Bible related to giving than any other subject. And it's interesting to me, and really incredible, what God promises when we learn to give. He wants us to learn to be givers because God is a giver. Do you realize that in heaven, there's probably not going to be any moths or rust of things? There aren't any up there. I heard about a guy who died and went to heaven. And he sees all these big mansions there and he's all excited. And he goes over here and there's a little tough shed shack here. He says, what's that? And he says, well, that's your house. He says, but what about all these mansions that are here? Why? How am I supposed to live there? St. Peter says, well, that's all the materials that you sent for us in advance. That's all you got. What are we storing up in heaven? What kind of treasures? And the only way you can store up treasure in heaven is by investing it in people who are going to be there too. There's only two things that are going to last forever. The Word of God and people. So here we are with finances. And, and the Bible teaches us to put God first in all of our life. Do you realize this? That God does not need our money? How many knew that? How many believe that? I mean, you know, God's wealthy. But He wants us as a people. He doesn't want our stuff. He wants us 
He wants a relationship. And so the starting point for financial freedom is first of all to make Jesus the manager of your life. And you start by abundantly letting Him come into your life, making Him the manager of not just your wealth, not just your money, but of your time. Make Him the manager of your home. Make Him the manager of of anything that's happened to you in the past. But make Him number one in your life in every area that you possibly can live. So is everybody still excited? God has entrusted us with so much. He's given us so much. And it's not the material stuff. I'm not going to lie. It's not bad to have material stuff. But if if it's taking away from your relationship with Christ, you need to think twice. And so this morning I trust that first of all you have a relationship with Christ. And that He's number one in your life. And the rest of this stuff will flow the way it's supposed to flow if you keep Christ number one. If you don't know Christ, man, I'd love to talk with you afterwards. Call me this week or whatever. But don't leave today without realizing Jesus needs to be, and He is, number one in my life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for these words out of James, and and sometimes they hit us really hard. Sometimes they just make us think. But Lord, maybe there's some changing that needs to take place in, in our lives today, and I just pray that we can lay ourselves at Your feet. And Lord, I just pray that if there's anything coming between our relationship with You, I just pray that we can deal with that so that we can focus our eyes on You, that You love us so much, You care for us, and You supply all of our needs. And so, Lord, again, I just thank You for this time together. And I just pray, even as we uh, do a little bit more singing and praise and worship, that it'll just be music that will be pleasing to You. And again, I thank you for this day. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.